What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Speak On It podcast with K. Sam. Joining me today, uh, again via Zoom call, man, it's my guy, Mr. Sam Millich, ladies and gentlemen. What's up, Sam? What's the deal? What's the deal, Officer Sam? How we doing today, oh, bro? Oh, man, I'm good, man. If I if I complain, bro, I'd be wrong. I ain't gonna lie to you. Feeling good, <laughs> man. So, yeah. um, man, good to have you back uh, on the show for another episode to all my listeners, once y'all hear this, I'ma just apologize, man. I was like I told Sam, man, I was running around uh coaching a little flag football team uh at a work event today, man, and I was hooping and howling and running around. Like I was playing well, I was playing a game, I was quarterbacking, so I, I, I was crump, man. I was pulling that old Cam Newton, man. I was launching. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but man, uh I know we said we had to run a part two back uh from the systematic views, but uh, I do have you back on the show, but we won't be talking about the systematic views, so we got to save that for another episode. But, man, I just wanted to bring you back while this topic was, was real hot on the stove uh, and talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. So I, I felt that this is a good opportunity for us to dive in and what better person to have, um, you know, help me break this down than than a uh, criminal defense attorney himself. So. We go dive into that. So you good though, Sam? Yeah, man, I'm good, man. Just uh, here in Alabama with the family, you know, getting ready to celebrate the old Thanksgiving holiday. So, you know, man, but still grinding, still working. I don't appear. That's the beautiful thing about it, about Zoom. I appeared in three courts today in three different cities. So feel good about that. Hey, man, technology, <laughs> baby, technology. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> So real quick, as you said, and I, I know I told you I was, was going to dive right in, but I got to know, what's your favorite dish you, you're looking forward to for Thanksgiving? Oh, bro, it's got to be, it's got to be dressing, man. That you know dressing. what I'm saying? Yeah. Dressing or, you know, a little fried turkey. You know, I, I feel like I'm not cheating if I'm eating turkey because it's healthy for you, good source of protein, but it's fried. Uh, but that fried turkey and dressing, man, I look forward to it, man. My aunt's recipe is dope. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Man, I never had no good old uh, candy yams, boy. Yeah, yams. Yeah, it's mm. gonna be some good yams going down too. But I'm telling you, man, I've been waiting on that dressing. You know what I'm saying? I've been kind of not loading up on carbs just so I can <laughs> load up. You know, on Thursday. All right, hear you. I hear you. So, all right, man. Uh, let's dig into this. So, what I want to do first is break down the definition of murder. In Wisconsin, and for all my mm-hmm. listeners, all I did was Google Wisconsin murder law, and I'm reading this straight from the Wisconsin State Legislator website. Uh, and the reason why I want to bring this specific um, definition up is because, from what I've been seeing on, on social media, everybody feels he should have uh, he should have been charged with murder, and that's what ultimately the case was about was him uh, being charged with murder. So. 
first degree intentional homicide in the state of Wisconsin reads, whoever causes the death of another human being with intent to kill that person or another is guilty. Um, so that's first degree. Uh, first degree reckless homicide states whoever recklessly causes the death of another human being under circumstances circumstances which show utter disregard for human life is guilty of a class b felony um they had another one felony murder says whoever caused the death of another human being while committing or attempting to commit a crime and they have a bunch of other um Defin, uh, I say definitions, another, a bunch of other, uh, I guess, crimes that, that has to fall in that felony murder. And second-degree intentional homicide states, whoever causes the death of another human being with intent to kill that person or another is guilty of a Class B felony. And then second-degree reckless homicide states, whoever recklessly causes the death of another human being is guilty of a Class D felony. Um, I think that's the five that I wanted to read. So Sam, let's, let's, let's dive into that. So based off of those definitions that I read, um, and what we, what, what was revealed from this trial, do you believe, or do you see, do you believe that any of those definitions fit, uh, for what Rittenhouse done? Well, and you know, this is a difficult answer. And as, and so I'm answering this as a, a defense attorney. Um, I think it would have been hard, even though the sentiment, the public sentiment, and let's just keep it real, race has been a big factor in this case. Although I point out to most people, the victims were not persons of color like you and I, right? The victims were actually white males. But, you know, uh, this whole incident came about as a result of, you know, the riots from the uh, uh, Jacob Bell, not Jacob Bell, that's a partner of mine, uh, was it Jacob Blake, um, the killing of um, the young man, African-American male in the protest. So when you talk about homicide, and it's particularly first degree homicide, generally the intent that is needed is a specific intent, or as I like to say, a premeditated intent. So when I look at cases, and this is something we're taught in law school, there are three phases, the before, the during, and the after. And specifically in dealing with uh, first-degree homicide, the before is very important. What plans or premeditation was there to support that the defendant was actually going or wanted to kill uh, the victim? And in this case, you know, there were two guys that were <clears> – <throat> Well, it was one guy that was actually killed. So, you know, he was actually charged with six charges, but I think the first degree charge was going to be a tough burden for the state to prove because there was no evidence. And that's why they wanted to bring in, which quite frankly, I think kind of went against what the prosecution's argument was, but they wanted to bring up some affiliations that he may have had, like marching with the Proud Boys before, just to kind of show uh his potential racist racial bias uh and particularly you know being for white supremacy but again the problem is the victims in this case were white males you know what i mean so it kind of goes against everything that i guess the proud boys and the racial undertone so i don't think there was enough there and i know from an emotional standpoint as a 
taking my defense lawyer robe off. And the first thing I wake up, I realize I'm not a lawyer, but I'm a black man. I realize how unfair it seems, but just if I'm taking all emotion out, right? And right. taking my my frustration as a black man out now just looking as a defense attorney, you know, at the end of the day, man, I, you got to give the defense attorneys props. At the end of the day, it's about the state, the state of Wisconsin being able to prove their burden beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a very, very high burden. So I know people wanted them charged with homicide because the only thing we knew and we know from what we saw on the likes of CNN, MSNBC, Fox, and every other outlet was you had a young man from Illinois cross state lines with an assault rifle and be there. The word that was used a lot was the provocateur, right? To provoke or incite uh, the violence that was already going on. And a lot of people are upset about that and rightfully so, right? But again, if we just are dealing with facts and evidence, uh, the evidence did not support a conviction for uh, a first degree homicide, you know, charge. It, it just didn't. The reckless, uh, and I got to pull it up here, the recklessly endangering safety. Um, I'm not sure what the actual statute is, but that seems like something that's tantamount to what we have here in Texas, which is uh, deadly conduct, you know, discharge of a firearm, where you're basically doing something that is so reckless that it can endanger one's life and it's reasonably foreseeable that the outcome would be something deadly you know what i mean like discharging a firearm in a in a, in a crowded space right um I, I i think you know again you're being reckless and it's just about you're not taking into consideration the dangerous outcomes that will result from your action uh, i think there was enough there but again all of this is going to be tied into his self-defense claim. And I know you hadn't gotten to that and your question, I'm giving kind of a long answer, uh, but just to kind of put a bow on that, I don't think there was enough there for a conviction. Was there enough there for a charge? And that's the thing we have to, you know, let your, your listeners and viewers know. There's a difference between a charge and a conviction. A charge ain't nothing more than an allegation. And the standard for that is just probable cause, right. meaning that it's more likely than not, right? Uh, whereas the conviction in a criminal court here in the United States of America, you, the state, meaning the state of Wisconsin, state of Texas, wherever, they have to meet their burden. Their burden is beyond a reasonable doubt. And that is an extremely high burden. So, you know. So, uh, so what you felt, if, if you, I guess, if, if you had to be over this case, what you felt would have would have been the the prop uh the i guess the right charge you know like what he should have been i guess trialed for you get what i'm saying that makes sense right what what charges and, and prosecutors don't necessarily operate like this i mean if they did our dockets whether you be in tarrant county collin county dallas county harris county our dockets probably wouldn't be as backed up and clogged up but generally how they operate they just charge you with everything that they can think of, right? Every, and I, I don't know how it is where you are, but I know here in Harris County, the way it works is you get stopped or detained in the police call, the DAs and the DAs determine what charges to accept, right? And a lot of times there will, 
if there are four possible charges, but three of them are weak, you're still going to be charged with four of those charges. And then we'll let it, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let the process play out. And, and those charges that are weak will eliminate themselves. Or a lot of times what they'll do is in lieu of a plea for a stronger charge, we'll go ahead and dismiss the weaker charges. So to me, if, I was over the intake at the DA's office in Wisconsin. I probably would have charged him with the reckless endangering, right? Uh, the one count of that. I think the reckless homicide is one that is a, you don't necessarily have to have that specific intent, that premeditation. Uh, I think that may have been a charge that I would have, you know, tried to go on. Um, definitely the attempted first degree. But then again, it's the premeditation that we probably would lose on. The possession of a dangerous weapon, most definitely. I'm still baffled at why the presiding judge in this case, uh, you know, decided that that case, there was no evidence for that. I mean, I thought the law was pretty clear, given the fact that he was underage, 17 years old, uh, was in possession, clearly in possession, whether or not the weapon, and I think the argument was, well, the weapon actually belonged to his parents, belonged to his mother. Mm -hmm. uh, I still feel as if possession, the only thing you have to prove is that the person he has care, control, and custody of the item, whether it be narcotics, whether it be a weapon, whether it be just anything. And it's clear from all the video that we had that he had care, control, and custody. That would have been the one that I truly went on and that probably would have been my most, that would have been the one that I'm like, okay, this is my insurance charge. Mm -hmm. If I can't get them on the, the over the top, the hell Mary charges to say, right. This is a, this is a, a, a red zone or a green zone charge to put it in football terms. Like that's one that I definitely would have been like, because at the end of the day, he was under the age of 17. He had clear possession, clear care, control and custody. I'm still, uh, there are a lot of things that took place in this trial and just viewing it from the outside uh, that I thought was inappropriate from the judge, from the prosecution to even some comments that were made by the defense. But at the end of the day, as a defense attorney, I commend the defense attorneys for doing their job and zealously representing their client, no matter how it makes me feel as a black male. Right. So, uh, which you just touched base on, was he legally allowed to have that gun? Um, so man, a, a lot of this stuff too is, is you made a good point is people look at this stuff in the, in the emotional rim of it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And when I was kind of reviewing this case and just kind of reading the synopsis, I watched it a couple things, you know, on, on TV, but of course, most of the stuff came from social media, uh, the clips and stuff like that. But the, the thing that stuck with me is what you said in the last episode that, that we done when I asked you, I guess, how can you, you know, be a, a defense attorney and represent somebody that, you know, probably done a horrendous crime or something like that. And all I could think about is what if that was you, you know, what if, mm -hmm. what if, what if that was you on trial for, for this charge or what if it was your loved one uh, on trial for this charge, you know, and to me, I think it was a, a fair trial, you know, from what mm -hmm. I saw. Um, but you know, people, people clowning him and, and, you know, uh, I guess not taking serious him crying and saying that was all, a that was all, a uh, 
that was fake and, and you know LeBron James tweeting about him and and stuff like that. And I'm and all I could think about is, bro, ain't no telling what my emotions would be like if I'm 18 years old and potentially looking at my life going down the drain just that quick, you know. I, and I'll say this, and I, I agree, you don't know what's going on in a person's head. I just think, based on, I think a lot of people felt the way they felt as far as his tears not being authentic, just from the initial actions, how he was kind of, his posture, his demeanor throughout the trial. Uh, and this is where I thought it, it was inappropriate from the state, and it backfired on them because they made reference to him not necessarily going to take the stand, which you cannot do because a person has a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, that just totally was inappropriate and quite frankly unethical uh, from the prosecution standpoint. Yeah, the judge didn't um, like that one. <laughs> no, there were a lot of things. And don't get me started on this judge. Like, I'm going to just be real with you. As someone that is seeking, you know, that is aspiring to be in that position, one thing you're supposed to be as a judge is a neutral arbitrator that's a referee, that's an umpire. All you do is call balls and strikes. I think he wanted to be a part of the lore of this case more than what he should have, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like, what was that last Monday night when I think, who was it, the Steelers were playing? I don't know who it was, but the refs threw a bogus taunting call that caused cost the Steelers the game and this ref was just doing too much you don't like that and as someone that tries cases that's not how it's supposed to be and again I don't feel sorry for the state of Wisconsin the prosecution as a defense attorney I thought they did a horrendous job you know just from just litigating their case but I also know there were some things that the judge was doing as the presiding judge that you don't normally see and that's why it's hard for me to say that, okay, it was a fair and impartial trial. If I'm the defendant, yes. But as a person that knows the law and has tried cases, you see things like that going on, bro. Like, and normally it's against the other side. Normally it's against the defense. I recently tried a case where it was so one-sided against myself and my client, my team and my client, it was obvious my client wasn't getting a fair and partial trial. Very rarely do you see it go the other way, but what, what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong. Right. His intervening, his grandstanding was completely wrong. The prosecution talking about written houses not testifying was completely, completely out of line. I thought the prosecutor in closing pointing the gun. I'm like, man, what are you doing? You know, like <laughs> what what's going on here? Like to me that's not authentic and I, I think just this whole trial was just based on just okay he's got to cry to garner sympathy you know there were some issues with the jury selection there were, i mean it was just these are tough cases and sometimes the public and i'm gonna I'm throw myself in there we get disappointed when what we feel like should be a slam dunk verdict is not a slam dunk verdict and again before I'm a lawyer, before I'm attorney Sam Millage or Mr. Sam, I'm a black male. And I can't help but feel some type of way when I know and I've seen people do way less and they get found guilty without all the cameras. Now, again, if we want to be honest and we want to look at the entire picture, okay, 
I stand by what I said. The charge of him possessing that weapon, he should have been convicted of. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. The the law, and I, again, I don't want to be ignorant. I don't practice in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, so I've never tried a case in Wisconsin. So I don't know necessarily what their law is. And I, I guess I'm going to have to look it up if there is a an affirmative defense that says it's not illegal for a person underage to possess a firearm if the gun was bought by, you know, their guardian, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, their parent. But most laws are not like that. Why do I say that? Because most state laws resemble each other very closely. Right. There may be a small difference. And we have that same statute here on the books in Texas. And again, it's just about care, control, and custody. Did you intentionally and knowingly possess a firearm that you were prohibited to have? And were you under the age of 18, which he was 17 at the time? Um, but that self-defense claim, man, again, like I said, if you want to look at it and you look at the video, granted, he went there, in my opinion, I know he said to protect the community that I believe he did have family there, but I don't believe his family or their businesses were in any danger, right? Mm-hmm. So it does seem like you're there to provoke, be a provocateur, right? Now, there were people that did attack him. And the law states that if you make a self-defense claim, if you fear, reasonably fear your life is in danger or you're about to receive bodily harm, you have a right to use reasonable force. Okay. Now, reasonable is subjective. Some people will say, well, if I if I use a gun, I have a right to use a gun. But if I use my fist, you don't have a right to use a gun. Well, in this case, we know he was hit in the head or in the shoulder by a person with a skateboard. He shot that person. We know there was another individual that had a handgun that pointed at him. He shot that individual. That's a viable self-defense claim. Now, the skateboard, I, I don't know. But again, a skateboard, a deadly weapon is determined in the manner in which you're using it, mm-hmm. not in what its ordinary use is. So if I'm whacking you upside the head with, a, with, with your microphone, that could be considered to be a deadly weapon. Right. And in that case, you would have the right to use, you know, your weapon. So that self-defense claim is something that probably, you know, is going to be a silver bullet, no pun intended, for all of the charges that he, you know, stood accused of. And so uh, before we get too far away from it, uh, let's talk about let's talk about, I guess, breakdown. So you, you said the judge. So you explained the judge. But I, when I was watching the closing arguments from the prosecutor, I did scratch my head. I was like, man, what is this dude talking about? I think that the prosecutor did, you know, did the state done a, a terrible job and kind of in so many words, in a sense, they lost the case for themselves, you know. So people were mad about the verdict, but I was like, they really didn't do a good job to make these jurors uh, feel that, like, that they had a good case. You get what I'm saying? That 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 makes sense um and and that's why i say people people getting in their in their emotions about it but it was like is i guess they were just expecting it to be that simple like he should be charged with, with a murder with a murder charge um but talking about deadly weapons and i kind of want to talk about this from a law enforcement uh standpoint just like you said with the skateboard, it's all about in the manner what you're trying to use uh, whatever for. 
And that's a, that's something else that people don't really understand. So I think that's a good point uh, to explain and to make that if I have this pen, yeah, it's, it's used in its normal uses to write. But if I come at you, you know, and have the pen in a stabbing motion, that that's a deadly weapon at that point. You know, I, right. I tell people some, you know, car keys. If you come at me with, you know, with the with the car keys in between your fingers and uh and you know going in a stabbing motion, that's now a deadly weapon. Um so with with him and the skateboard, let's not even bring up the gun. So let's bring up the the what it was the skateboard and then somebody kicked him in the head when he fell or something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with those two incidences, um do you feel at, at whatever point that he had it was it was a, a self defense, it was a justified self defense? Uh, because and I don't the reason why I say I don't want to bring up the gun because the dude clearly said he he didn't shoot him until he pointed the gun at him, uh, whatever that guy's name was. So he kind of like took himself out of that out of that fight already. But mm-hmm. with the skateboard and the kick, at what point um, you felt you think he was allowed to use that weapon? And and kind of and keep him. Keep in mind and keep it in a very temporal um, and a time sensitive, you know, because that's what you have to look at. This wasn't everything was happening so quickly. Right. So I believe it was almost as if he was getting jumped. You had the person hit him with skateboard. Bow. Next thing you know, he's getting kicked and he's on the ground. And so now you don't know what's going on. And so it's kind of like. I'm in fear of my life. And that's really all I have to say for self-defense. So I would say the moment he was hit with that skateboard, the law doesn't tell you you need to analyze and see what you were hit with. <laughs> that's not how the law works. If you perceive that your life is in danger and that you are going to receive serious bodily injury or die, you have a right to use deadly force, right? You have a right to use reasonable force to protect yourself. Um, And I I think at that point, because again, if I'm correct, he's getting hit with the skateboard and almost simultaneously now he's being kicked. Keep in mind, those are two different people. This This is not the same person, right? So this is, although it's two different people with two different actions, it's continuous. So at this point, and then you have a guy coming towards and that's trying to wrestle the gun away. And, and and one could argue, well, hey, you know, he had already just shot one guy. So we were just trying to, you know, uh, wrestle the gun away and protect ourselves. But I think you have a viable self-defense claim when you are being attacked uh, and you're in fear of your life. So the minute he's hit upside the head with that skateboard, you know, that's it. Now. And again, forgive me for not having my facts straight. I was not there in Kenosha. But I don't know if the guy pointed the gun at him first, then he shot, then boom, a second person comes and hits him with the skateboard. And I think that's how it went down. Uh, guy I see him walking with the AR-15. You know, another guy points the gun at him, uh, you know, and then boom, he shoots that guy. Then they a, a mob of people come towards him, you know, to try to get the gun away. He shoots the gun to get him off. Man, look. You in survival mode, right? And like I said, I don't, I don't like the verdict, but I have to respect it because at the end of the day, the law is the law. Taking all emotion, all subjectivity out of it, the law is the law. And I, and I, again, I, you know, thought about 
what if I was put in that situation? You know, what if I was, uh, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse in that situation? What would you do? And I don't think nobody could could honestly say that they wouldn't use that that firearm in that situation. Uh, you know, given those exact circumstances that that was taking place. Um, well, well, can I can I say something? I think the difference between us and Kyle Rittenhouse, we wouldn't have had our ass over there in the first place. <laughs> that was my right, and 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 I think that's what's upsetting a lot of people because they feel like you put yourself in that situation, you assume the risk by going there with an AR-15, knowing that it was an, uh, a, a tense moment, you know, of what happened. You assume the risk when it wasn't necessary. So a lot of people feel like you got what you deserve. But again, that's not the law, mm-hmm. right? That, 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 that's not the law, okay? And I agree with those people. I'm not, I'm not gonna sit over here and act different because again, before I walk out, and put on my nice suit and my bow tie and go to court and I'm attorney Sam Millage, Mr. Sam, attorney Millage, whatever. I'm still a black man. And I've seen how this normally goes and it's frustrating. And I do believe like, man, you shouldn't have had your ass over there in the first place. All right. And I think, like you said, that is, that is the big, the big thing uh, is that people saying is if you wouldn't, you know, and you can say this about a lot of instances, if you wasn't there, then it wouldn't happen to you. But Correct. You know, kind of neither here nor there. He was there. He made the choice to go there, and and that's what happened. And I think they saw uh, a, a young a young a kid walk around with an AR, and I I honestly believe that they thought that they could just do whatever they want to him and overpower him and beat him up and and take his gun. I honestly think that that's what their uh, mindset was. It was like this kid ain't gonna use this gun, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and I think I can see that. I I, I, I believe that. that was the the big drive behind it for them to chase him down. And I don't I don't re, I don't know if uh I don't remember if it was you know they chased him after he shot that one person or they chased him before and that's what caused everything. But needless to say, I think I don't because I don't think you see a, another grown man because I'm sure he wasn't the only one out there with a gun. Um, but I don't I don't foresee seeing them chasing a grown man down with the with the AR. And, the, and you know, and doing what, what they, what, what they were doing. Wasn't Rittenhouse posing as an EMS? Like, yeah. I, think uh, he was... <laughs> I, I saw a video. He was posing, saying he was there to, to put out fire. So I guess he was trying to play fireman too. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, he was there supposed to be providing uh, EMS, claiming he was a uh, – a medic or or something like that but yeah that's that's what he said he was doing i think doing. there's a charge i know we have a charge like that in texas i think it's strictly impersonating a peace officer mm-hmm. you know i don't know if they have anything like that in wisconsin i'm just thinking of other things that you know he could have been charged with uh but i i want to go back to something you said too about the prosecution i mean again man this is what happens sometimes when cases are so high profile and there's so much pressure, there's a rush to try to appease the public that you don't take your time and you don't do a really good job. Um, and I think that was the, this case, there was more, you know, aha moments and, you know, ah, got you, you know, flash moments instead of just being fundamental and trying your case, making sure the evidence backed the allegations, right? It was it was too much. Well, because he's associated with this, 
we got to bring that in and backfire. And I do believe the judge ruled correctly. Now, you can't bring up extraneous offenses or any type of character evidence unless it's for a non-character purpose, right? So motive, intent, opportunity, uh, scheme, plan. There was no mention of that. You know, saying like maybe the motive part with respect to him marching with the Proud Boys. But again, your argument is defeated if the Proud Boys, a group that allegedly is claimed to be based on white supremacy, meaning that they feel like they are the superior race to any other race, your argument is defeated when the, the victims are white, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that word victim intentionally, even though the judge said that it was improper to refer to them as victim. Now, in theory, I agree with that, right? Because how can we say a person is a victim? Well, you could say a person is a victim if you know they've actually been the subject of a crime, right? And I think these people were subject of a crime, but then there presumes that a crime occurred and that the person accused of the crime did it. So if we follow that logic, no one ever else in my cases that I try should be referred to as a victim. Now, I've tried that and I've made that motion before. And guess what I've gotten? I've gotten laughed at, like, ah, Mr. Millage, please. Okay, you know? And so for him to say they could be referred to as rioters or looters, I thought that was highly prejudicial. And that, again, this is what I'm saying. Like, we had a judge that kind of went out of his way to make sure we remembered his name. We shouldn't be talking about the judge. If anything, we should be talking about the charge, the, 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 prosecutions failed attempt to meet their burden and Mr. Rittenhouse. That's, what we, that's all we should be talking about. But I said, we're, a lot of the talk is about this judge and he inserted himself in it. But again, man, there were a lot of things that went on that as a trial attorney, I'm telling you, bro, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen. So you think it was, it was because of it became a, a high profile case um, that all this, you know, that all this uh, unusual stuff took place in this trial? Oh, I know it. I know it. I know it, man, when them cameras ain't on you like that, and no one knows who this judge is. Maybe in Wisconsin, in that little county of Kenosha, whatever Kenosha's county seat name is, maybe they know him, because he might be one or two district court judges, right? Mm. But nobody knows him outside the state of Wisconsin. Nobody knows him. But now he's known. Right, all now over. He's known. You you type in Rittenhouse or anything to do with this case. His and name now his comes name. up. Mm-hmm. I guarantee, if there is a change in the White House in the next four years, where you don't have a Democratic president anymore, you have a Republican president, that fellow's going to be on the short list to be appointed to a federal bench. Wow! I'm telling you, I'm telling you, like just because of <laughs> just because of this case, huh? I'm I'm I'm, t- I'm telling you, man, like. You know, this was his opportunity. This was his uh, what they say in March Madness, one shining moment. This was his. This was his moment, man. <laughs> and uh, he took full advantage of it. Oh, that he did. Made sure he didn't miss nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, man, kind of touching base on the on his purpose of being there. You know, uh, people said he was there to provoke. So, how can you? How can one prove such such uh, allegation like that? And, and kind of and make it a big, you know, make it a, a, a matter of the case. So if he was there to provoke people or if he was genuinely there to 
render aid or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I be, I, you know, I just kind of feel that that's neither here nor there is like what, whatever his, his reasons for being there, he was there and they attacked him. You know, it's not like he was going out and, and poking the bear, at least to my knowledge that he was going out there and poking the bear and, and, and causing chaos. Um, because obviously however long he was out there, he didn't do nothing until he started being attacked and he had to defend I, himself. I, I think people are misusing that term, right? And there is no legal basis for being a provocateur, right? And what I mean by that is that's not a crime. Now, being an initial aggressor, right, That, that there's a difference. So you and I get in a fight and you're the bully, okay, right? Now, I end up fighting you back. Okay, well, then you can't necessarily claim self-defense because you were the initial aggressor. And I think that's what people are saying. Mm -hmm. You came there and you were the initial aggressor. Now, the way that you prove that is, did he threaten anybody? Now, if he pointed the weapon at me and I'm uh, uh, I'm not using the word rioter, if I'm a protester. Okay, well, you're an initial aggressor, and guess what? That's an aggravated assault Mm -hmm. because I don't know you, and I don't know what you're doing with that weapon, and it's about what I perceive the danger to be, okay? So it's not provoking a response. It's It's causing my response, which is I'm in fear, but I don't think there was any evidence of that brought forward, okay? And as I say, although they're synonyms, they're synonymous, provoking initial aggressor i think the proper legal term for people like me you know that are in the legal world was he the initial aggressor right well i would like to think that he was but guess what it wasn't no evidence brought forward i don't give a damn what i believe or think it's about evidence i tell prosecutors that on a daily basis hey man i represented a guy on a homicide case and it was weak it was very circumstantial but there was one piece of evidence that I guess was their best piece of evidence. Well, in a pretrial motion, I got that suppressed, right? So the case went to, literally went to hell in a handbasket. And they had no choice but to dismiss the case. And the chief prosecutor in this case was upset. You know, I know he did it. I said, well, it's not about what you know, it's about what you can prove. Right. So can for, you go for ahead my, and file my dismissal? So for, for my listeners, uh, you want to just just short brief so you know we use you using these these lawyer terms on this and stuff like that you know my, my just, bad. My no bad. you good so what you know what suppress i i know what it means but just for the listeners can you just explain what you know what the word suppress means uh in this matter so suppress means to prevent whatever party from being able to use the evidence in trial to prove their point right so prosecutors will give a drug case if it's a bad stop under the Fourth Amendment, you know, we're allowed to claim that, hey, this was an unreasonable search and seizure. So a lot of times defense attorneys will file a motion to suppress. And simply what we're essentially what we're saying is we want to file a motion to not allow the government or the state to use the evidence that was collected by the police officers. And this is why. Right. Uh, and so in the case I just was talking about, I filed a motion essentially a motion to suppress, but it was a, a motion to limit or a motion in limine, uh, uh the decedent's uh, prior statement, right? And 
I won my motion. The law was on my side and it was just a bad case. And that was their best piece of evidence. And so unfortunately, uh, they had to dismiss the case. And a lot of times it's like playing basketball. I always tell people all the time, man, it's not about gathering the evidence. It's about how you went about getting it. Right. So in basketball, if you get six fouls, guess what happens? I don't care if you're LeBron James. Now they ain't going to get LeBron six fouls. That's my boy. They're not going to get KD six fouls. But they'll give Isaiah Stewart of the Pistons six fouls. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to foul out. That's what the rules say. No matter how much of a monster you are, that's the rules. Right. It's the same thing in, in the law. So there's certain things you can and can't do. And if there are things that you can't do and you violate it, guess what? There are consequences. All right. Good, good. Appreciate you for that. I, I just thought about it. I was like, man, people probably listen like suppress. What the hell suppress me? <laughs> you know, I got you. I got you. Uh, so let's 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 start talking about uh comparison. Cause I've been seeing a lot of a lot of comparison uh other other deals to uh to this trial. And I just think that is is no way that you could compare some of these incidences. So let me see. I have a bunch of screenshots. That I got from social media. So the first one that we could talk about, and you could tell me if you feel that this is a a, a valid comparison. I mm-hmm. uh come from, from Ben Crump. Oh Ben Crump. Oh, man. <laughs> My guy Ben. Benjamin. <laughs> so okay. he posted a a picture and uh it says Trayvon Martin was the same age as Kyle Rittenhouse when he was unjust unjustly killed. Rittenhouse is often portrayed as an innocent kid who was defending himself, yet Trayvon, who was unarmed and harmless, was portrayed as a dangerous adult to grossly uh, to grossly justify his murder. And then it's like two Americas is what he put. So I think, let me see, before, before I let you answer, let me see, I think I had another one uh, of the using the same thing as Trayvon. So Somebody else, Bernice King, says, it really saddens me that Kyle is referred to as a kid who had to defend himself by the people who had no sympathy for Trayvon, who was walking home unarmed and unwhite. Um, so I think I think that was, yeah, so you can go ahead and answer, answer that one. And then I'll give so you the next comparison. I, so I get the point that they're making, uh, although I do sometimes think, Ben Crump does more. I, I I met Mr. Crump, Attorney Crump, in person. I hey man, the guy knows how to get to the paper. Uh, I'll say that. And but I do understand his and Sister King's point as far as we do live in two Americas. This is something that I do bring up a lot. It's amazing to me that certain persons can be referred to as a kid. Kids will be kids. Boys will be boys. But when it's tends to be people of color, their defendants, their criminals, their menaces, uh, their pariah. They're looked at everything. They're, they're said to be everything but a child, but someone's son, but uh, you know, someone's nephew. They're, 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 they're villainized. Same thing with uh, uh, Michael Brown, right? Uh, and Ferguson, okay? I think he was 18 years old. First thing we knew about him was his criminal history, his juvenile stuff that should have never come out to try to portray him as, oh, this is a bad person we need to look at. With Trayvon, I think 
he wasn't a bad kid. I just think a lot of people tried to take it as he wasn't being compliant with someone he didn't need to be compliant with. Right. Again, like we talked about, put yourself in that position. You 17 years old, you got this creepy white dude following you and you trying to get away and he's steadily following you. Finally, it's just like, man, what the hell? I like, what's up? And you get to tussling. And it looks like by all accounts, Trayvon handled you and you shoot him and kill him. And you get off with that. And you do have people bringing up irrelevant stuff about why this young man was killed and he wasn't necessarily portrayed as a child, but there was justification for the wrongfulness. So I do see the point that they're trying to make. Now, did Trayvon carry a gun across state lines? No. Did Trayvon go to a, 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 a protest? Uh, where there was civil unrest, no. So if we want to say, well, that's an unfair, you're comparing apples to oranges, then yeah, I would I would agree with that. But ultimately, I get the bigger picture. Right. We do live in two different Americas. And I think if people, for those that are trying to say we don't, I think you're sadly mistaken. And I'm telling you that as a black male, but more importantly, as a black male that tries cases and sees unfair results or not, you know, consistent results for uh, persons of different color. I always bring up this point. Think about that kid at Mount Effect was in your neck of the woods about two years ago. Little kid that was driving under the influence, was 16 years old, hit and killed two people. I think that was in Collin County. And uh, judge, they brought in an expert that said that basically to mitigate and and humanize him as a kid and say, well, this kid suffers from affluenza, something we had never heard of. Basically saying that he's so rich and his parents have spoiled him so much, he doesn't understand the consequences of his action. And you should have mercy on him. Mm. And the judge granted him granted him that mercy. Guy skipped town, was caught in Mexico, just got a slap on the wrist. Wow. Gave him probation. He killed two people. Now, you let somebody that doesn't suffer from affluenza, but instead su- suffers from broke fluenza right <laughs> and you know hey well i'm sorry you should have known a live lives are taken and there are consequences for your action you know i don't care how young you are you got to go to jail you're a menace and we can't have you out there right you know so it, it's i do see what they're trying to say and i do agree with that maybe it could have been articulated in a different way but i do agree with that so if you had to, if you had to pose a solution for that, uh, do you do you think this a um, a situation that could be that could be fixed? You know, a, a problem that could be fixed to where everybody is looked at equally. You know what I'm saying? In, in cases like this, like in with with what you just described, uh, how can we stop things like that from happening? Man, that's a great question that I wish I just had a simple answer to. Unfortunately, it's not something, can it? Yes, theoretically. Will it? Realistically, probably not, because there's just too much disparity in wealth. And it's this is a socioeconomic issue that we deal with in the criminal justice system. It's the haves and have-nots. Those that have, that are able to afford good counsel like myself, you know, that is politics you know you're able to get more things based on your relationships whereas someone that can't afford high high dollar retained counsel or good retained counsel but has to go with you know maybe a court appointed 
that is not a season that is overworked, that just quite frankly doesn't care and is just there to get a paycheck, you're not going to get that, right? You're just going to get played out. And unfortunately, all people, whether you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you all have prejudice. We all have prejudice built in. We all feel a certain way. Again, I tell judges this, I tell lawyers this, when your reality is not my reality, it's hard to understand. Mm -hmm. So if you don't look like me, I can't really understand and humanize you. I can stand from the heavens and say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. But realistically, no, I can't. I'll give you a prime example, right? And this may be, you know, shock value, but we do it a lot of times when we're dealing with people that are pandering on the street, right? That are asking for money. If we're really wanting to fix that, what you have to do is get more people in positions of power, get more people on the bench that reflect the community that they're serving, right? You got to get more people and then maybe you might start seeing some consistency, right? But, or you make it where everyone in this country gets quality representation. You have public defender's office and you pay these PDs good money so you can get very good attorneys that have great relationships. Because again, man, it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, these are people that we went to law school with. Some of my classmates are now judges. Some of my classmates are about to be U.S. attorneys. You don't think they're going to not try to help me out? You right. know, it is what it is. It's about relationships. So I hate it. You know, I'll give you another example of true disparity. I think we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. There was a situation out in California where a kid that was a swimmer at Stanford. Oh, yeah, yeah. You did bring that up. Raped that little girl. The judge gave him probation. Said that he still has a chance to be rehabilitated. He's, he's still a kid. He's a young man. Same thing, similar, happened to a boy at Vanderbilt. Black kid, football player. Got 20 years. Mm. No, no. Both of them had the same background. Stanford is a great school. Vanderbilt is a great school. Right? No prior criminal history. Same, <laughs> same crime, essentially. But one, rightfully, I guess, can say, gets sentenced to prison. The other gets probation. Still has a chance to redeem himself. Now, somebody say, well, he's still going to be a convicted felon. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That's not, yeah, that's not the, the principle behind it, though. That's not the principle. Right? So... There's 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 a lot there, man. But again, like I say, we 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 can act like it doesn't exist. We can act like it's all peaches and cream and everything is fair and everything is rosy, but it's not. It's not. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just always like to, you know, when when I see problems, I always ask myself, well, how can we fix? It? You know, or how can I I fix it? Which brings me to to my my next point that I want to make. And I like to call these people the social media activists, you know. Uh, and let me see. I, it says, oh, yeah. So, you know, I've been seeing people post about how, how they pissed off and it's unfair and the system is messed up and the system is, you know, just made for whites and stuff like that. But all you're doing is complaining on social media. And I always mm -hmm. ask myself, and I want to ask people this, but it's like, what are you doing to fix that problem? Yeah, we know. Ooh. We know it's a problem, but what are you doing to be part of the change? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to tell you what people can do. And this is something myself, prosecutors, uh, 
a lot of us say, man, jury duty is so important. But everybody runs jury from duty. It. Oh man, jury duty is so important, uh, especially in our minority communities. And it's crazy to me to watch how black folks, especially, we don't like serving on juries. We would think of every excuse to get off the jury, but then get upset when a person gets slammed. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, man, we got to get people on these juries, right? Because you can't say you're getting a fair and impartial trial and you are a black male or a Hispanic male and you don't have but maybe one black person on the jury or one Hispanic person on the jury. Like, again, we can sit up here and say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I treat everybody fairly. Innately, there's a bias that we all have. Mm-hmm. Whether we want to admit it or not, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I see it all the time, man. I can be walking my dogs and, you know, people don't know. Again, when I walk out of my house, I'm not Attorney Sam Millage. I'm not Mr. Sam. I'm not, you know, Attorney Millage. They just see a black male. I'm walking my two pit bulls. I've literally seen people go on the other side of the street just because they feel like, (laughs) and it could be because of my dog. I don't know. It could be it could be because of my dogs, but you know, I'm running in my, my tank top, you know, uh tatted up, so it's like guy, you know, <laughs> like uh, Miss, I'm not worried it. about you. I'm trying to get my work out oh shit. You, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I, I, I I understand that, but again, man, I employ people. If you get a jury summons, show up to jury duty and take it serious. Because like we talked about, if that were you or your loved one, you'd want them to take it serious for you. So, uh, what time? So we about almost at an hour mark. So, man, another another comparison that they said is uh, T- Tamar Rice, the little twelve year old that had the toy gun in Cleveland. And I think this is just a a, a big big stretch. That's a stretch. That's a stretch. Because that That's that wasn't stretch. even that wasn't even close to being the same incident. So, mm-hmm. I I really don't. You know, we don't even have to discuss this because it's just so like, you know, but I, but the point I brought this up is because they just trying to find incidences where, you know, where a black kid in this case was uh, killed or something happened to and trying to compare it. And another deal I seen was people saying, of course, you know, we all know what would have happened if Kyle was a black male and that would have happened to him. And yes, we could all speculate and assume and be like, yeah, the cops would have killed him, uh, you know, right there in the middle of the street. But we would never know that answer. And I say that because in order for that answer to be answered or that that scenario to play out, you would have to have those exact variables all the way through to show that. Yes. You know, to to show the, the, the different outcome. You get what I'm saying? That makes that makes sense. Yeah. And, and speculation is always dangerous. I mean, living in a what if world, you know, or it, it, you know, it's always dangerous. I think with the Tamir Rice, I think that's a stretch from the standpoint of those incidents were not comparable. I think the point people are trying to make is again on a on a grand scale is how we and how our kids, especially our black male kids, are perceived as dangerous. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the first thought is to not protect or not to to not protect or give the benefit of the doubt, but it's to shoot and kill. And I think that's the point that they're trying to make. But I believe 
more so than the Trayvon Martin, I believe that's a stretch to try to make that comparison. I can see somewhat the comparison between Trayvon Martin and and and, and the Rittenhouse situation, but the Tamir Rice a tragedy, you know, because we're talking about a twelve year old kid that was playing in the park by himself where someone called and stated that there was a black male in a park with a gun when we clearly could see this is a kid. Right. Pointed I think they said he was pointed at people as they passed by or something like that. Right, right. You mean you can clearly tell this was a kid, not an adult. I don't think there's any, you know, uh, question about that. And I think, you know, the frustration is, you know, when the police arrived, there wasn't, uh, didn't seem like there was any attempt to deescalate and try to figure out like, yo, this is a child. Right. And you that know? was, that was the, the officer who ended up shooting him, his partner put him in a bad spot. That was a bad tactics. You know, you don't pull up on mm-hmm. the body like that. And I felt as tragic as it, as it is, he got put in a bad situation and you know you pull up right right there on, on anybody kid or 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 adult you don't have time to to determine if that was a real gun or not you know what i'm saying uh and mm-hmm. if i remember right that gun didn't have the the orange safety features on it like it's mm-hmm. supposed to have but that was bad that was bad tactics on, on police and that should have been handled a lot different you know to give that to give that chance to to de-escalate or figure out what we got, you know, is this a kid? Is this a toy gun? But I get, I get your point, uh, definitely on that. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it, it it sucks, man. Again, like I say, and some people are seen as children, some are not, and it's unfair. But you know, and getting back to the Rittenhouse situation, as emotional as we want to be, as unfair as I think it is just in general, the law is the law. And unless you bring the evidence to support the allegations that you're making, I always ask people this, what is the difference between an allegation and fact, right? An allegation is just an unsubstantiated claim, whereas a fact is a substantiated claim. What turns an allegation into fact? Evidence. So if you don't have the evidence, it's just an allegation. And Mm -hmm. that is not enough to convict a person and send a person away to prison it's just it's not no matter how much we jump up and down complain you know frustrated and make comparisons it's not and 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 the state of wisconsin the prosecutor's office there in kenosha did not do their very best job i'm sure there are some fine individuals but they did not do a good job yeah they didn't they didn't bring the they didn't bring their best game but you know they they just you just made a, a good point uh, and I have this in my notes. Uh, I saw a TikTok video from a black guy, and he he went off, but he he made a good point. And his overall point out of all the stuff that he said was that us as black people are so mad at the verdict that uh, that we lose in touch with reality. And you know, and you said that earlier. You take your emotions and and your feelings and stuff out of this case, then you kind of like okay, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, just human nature, you want to put your emotions in everything to where I took it as, you know, you lose in touch of reality because all you want to see because you so you making yourself so emotional and uh, involved in it. You just want to see you just everybody would have been happy if he would have went to prison or, or jail for whatever charge they would have had. It could have been that, you know, 
possession of a firearm charge, and everybody, I think everybody would have been happy, and you wouldn't be having these type of conversations that you have now, um, because you know you you just so emotionally uh, involved in it. So I, I just thought that was that was a good point that he made. Is you know you lose in touch with reality because you you're so caught up in your feelings about stuff. Um, but I asked somebody comment. I ain't gonna say the name, but somebody commented on my podcast uh, Instagram post saying that we was gonna do this episode, and uh, and I was like, yeah, man, it should be a good episode, especially how people feel on both sides of it. And this dude was like, man, I can't stand, I can't stand that that little dude, bro. I was like, like why? He was like, I just can't stand can't his face. Can't stand who? Rittenhouse. Oh, oh, and yeah. I was like, I was like, why? Like, what? Like you personally saying you you hate the little dude? And I was like, what? And I just kind of like, what the man done to you? You know what he done? How is it affecting you to make you feel that emotional about him? You know what I'm saying? So that just, I I just laugh. I just put, I hear um, you, bro. People are emotionally people are emotionally charged up, and again, I don't I don't know him. Uh, I have the benefit of just experience and practicing law and, and being able to, like I say, take the emotion out and look at it from an objective lens, right? But if I wasn't, I probably would be upset too because you just feel like, yo, it was on camera. We saw the wrong. We saw how nicely this guy was treated. And and I saw somebody bring up the, again, showing how we live in two different Americas. You look at the the fella Dylan Roof out of South Carolina that shot all the people in the the uh, church. Mm-hmm. There was a nationwide manhunt when they finally got him. You know, took the man to Burger King. Yeah. You know, <laughs> cut cut his waffle up for him. It was just like, yo, like, <laughs> what's up, bro? Like this man's armed and dangerous, and you know what I'm saying? Like, not to laugh, but it's like, come on, like, it it it, it was not Dylan Roof, but Jashawn Roof. You know, like you're not doing that for the son. You're not right. you're not taking him to Burger King. You know what I'm offer saying? Him like you're manhandling. Offering him a bag yeah. of chips and, and a little cup of water in the in the uh yeah, you, in the inter- interrogation you, room. Man, you manhandling him because you feel like, yo, this this is a dude that just doesn't care about life. He killed nine people in a church house, cold blooded. You know what I'm saying? Like befriended these people, came to Bible study, you know, for months. And just just killed them, no remorse. You know what I'm saying? So it again, you know, if we want to make it better, man, one way we can start is by serving on these juries, getting on these grand juries, voting people in that are sitting in positions of power, these judicial seats, these US Senates, these state representatives, you know, getting out the vote, man, because that stuff, maybe we don't understand the effect nationally, but locally. That stuff makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. And I'm not really a political person, politician, you know, but I see as I get older, as a 39-year-old man, I understand the power of my vote. I understand the power of, you know, when I get a jury summons, making sure I appear. Uh, you know, I understand the power of volunteering for grand jury service. Like, man, it's a lot of stuff. Like, if you really want to see change, you know, you got to put people on, on the bench that are reflective of the community that they serve and that are going to do everything in their power to be fair and administer justice in a fair way. Yeah. 
got to do you got to do your part. Uh, yes, sir. So let's start landing this this old plane here. So to close out this this Rittenhouse trial, you want to just give a, a little short, brief uh, explanation on how does how does the verdict come about, or like what what goes into coming up with the verdict? And I just want to take this opportunity this opportunity to try to educate you know the listeners uh, on on how these things come about. Uh, in these big cases. So when a jury deliberates, meaning that they've heard all the evidence, both sides have given their closing summation or their closing arguments. The jury is uh, now sequestered, meaning they go back into the jury room and they have to have a unanimous decision. Most states require uh, for juries to rule one way or the other unanimously. If they don't, if one person is now he's guilty, then you have a hung jury, right? Uh, I think Louisiana is one of the few remaining states where it can just be the majority. Uh, you got to check me on that. I'm not sure. So I'm sure there are people that are listening that will fact check me. But in this case, there had to be a unanimous decision. And those those uh, you know citizens unanimously felt like he was not guilty of all the charges for which he stood accused. Um, in other words, what they said was the state of Wisconsin did not meet their burden, which was beyond a reasonable doubt. There's no legal definition for beyond a reasonable doubt. The best example I give, and I give during my voir dires, which is my uh, uh, when I when we're doing our jury selection, is imagine yourself jumping out of a plane for the first time, right? And there's a parachute. You got two parachutes. You got one that's beat up that looks like it's literally just hanging on by a thread. And then you got one, looks like it's barely used, looks in really good condition. Which one are you gonna take? You gonna take that one that looks like it's barely used, but is in good condition. Why? Because you're sure beyond reasonable doubt it's gonna open and you're going to land. Mm. And that's a that's a that's a very high burden, man. You know what I'm saying? So you have to be sure. And what they said was, we're not sure beyond a reasonable doubt we're not sure we're not sure that the parachute you gave us is going to open so as a result of that we must we are obligated under the law to return a verdict of not guilty because you didn't meet your burden and that's what those jurors said forever how long they were out deliberating that's that was the decision that they came up with good that was a that was a good analogy right there with the parachute yes sir was, yes sir no, yes sir uh, so I mean, I think I think we pretty much touch touch base on everything, man. You want to uh, add some closing remarks to this episode? No, nah, man. No, nah, man. As always, bro, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Uh, did I hear you say there's gonna be a part three to talk about some other stuff? Yeah, uh, but we, we're supposed to put that on, on your mind. We're you supposed know? to finish. We're supposed to finish the from the the systematic views episode. Oh uh, yeah, because yeah, that yeah, one yeah, went yeah. about an hour to change too. So yeah, 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 man. It's always a good time, but bro, I appreciate you. Um, I'm, I'm here to just be a vessel and try to educate, uh, listeners as best as I can give a honest, you know, opinion. And again, it's an opinion It's I know some people may not like what I say. Some people may not like what you say, but at the end of the day, if they're willing to come to the table and listen, as long as like you talked about a man, I can just change one person's heart. That's all that matters. And I think we've done your job. I commend you for that. Keep doing a good job. And I appreciate it as always, bro. And, uh, you know, it's a good look, man. So thank you. Yes, sir. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was attorney Sam Millich again joining in the show. 
talking about this Kyle Rittenhouse trial. So like he said, we're going to do another episode, part three, because we still got to talk about the finish, talking about the systematic views situation. Uh, so again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Speak On It podcast. Something I forgot to say earlier, here on the Speak On It podcast, we have a motto, and it's not trying to change the entire world, but reach the heart of one person at a time. Again, I am signing out. It is your boy, K-Sam. See y'all next time. Well, talk to y'all next time. <laughs>